Amen. Well, today as we prepare to hear from God's Word, we remember that Scripture alone is the final authority from, for our lives. Listen to these words from 2 Timothy 3. I may have forgotten to put these on the screen, but just listen to these. As for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And help us open the Word today, we have Jeff White with us. Ever since Pastor Jim and Pastor Mark got to hear Jeff preach at classes, we have been looking for an opportunity to bring him here to join us on a Sunday, and today is finally the day. Um, Jeff teaches history at Ileana Christian High School. He's married to Laura. They enjoy camping and traveling, and they're good friends with Brian and Julie Sylvester. So let's welcome Jeff White this morning. Thank you for that sitting ovation. <laughs> um, Kyle, a couple weeks ago, he emailed me and he said, would you, you know, bring a message for us on, on Reformation Sunday, and if you could construct a message around that theme, that would be great. And so, uh, as I started to write this message today, I thought, you know what, we're not going to have a specific passage. We are going to have a series of passages that were aha moments for people like Martin Luther. And you know what, you read all those passages already this morning. So Kyle, if I can just have my uh, travel expenses, and we'll call it good, and let's go have coffee. People of God, today is a great day. And you gave me this little clicker, and where's the, oh, there's the button. There we go. 1517, 504 years ago, the thunder of Luther's hammer smacked into that door at the church at Wittenberg. Today, our worship is not about looking at a person. <clears throat> Today, our, our worship is looking at how God uses people, how God uses community church, how God uses people to continue to bring renewal and move forward and forward until the final coming of his kingdom. That's what we're looking at today. So even though we will talk a lot today about Martin Luther, just realize that he's a vehicle. He's a vehicle like every one of us to do kingdom work. So yeah, 504 years ago, this man put 95 little bullet points up on a door. 95 things that he wanted addressed. Because you know what? He had been on a journey. He had been on a journey like a lot of us are on journeys. And his journey led to a few aha moments. And that's why today, Time Magazine calls him the third most influential man of the last 1,000 years. Third most influential person of the last 1,000 years, behind Johann Gutenberg and behind Albert Einstein. Now, before the internet had all different kinds of blogs and different kinds of, of, of pieces, when they recorded public, published works, Martin Luther is the second most published character in all of human history behind Jesus Christ. So yeah, what, that thunder that happened back there in 1517 on October 31, that was a big deal. 
It led to a complete change in Western civilization. It led to a change in how we see God. Think back to when Jesus is on earth. When Jesus is on earth, the Pharisees had put blinders on people. People had lost a sense of how do I have a relationship with God? How do I somehow receive God's favor? And here we are in 1517, and history repeats itself. The church had gone into a time period where people didn't know, how do I have a relationship with God? The church had been teaching, the way you have a relationship with God is you do stuff. You get on this little assembly line process, and we tell you to do this, and this, and this, and this, and this. And by the way, you take out your wallet, and you pay for this, and this, and this, and this. That's right, you pay for baptisms, you pay for weddings, you pay for uh, funerals, you pay for everything. You pay for the forgiveness of your sins. Well, wait a minute, didn't Jesus pay for those forgiveness of sins? Yeah, but we say you got to pay more. And so the church had put blinders on people. And the church had started to teach people that the way you get out of jail, so to speak, is like a prisoner. Where if a prisoner serves their time, the prisoner says, I have done my justice. I have served my time. I have done something. So now I am released from bondage. Until Martin Luther comes along. And Martin Luther gives the world a new perspective on how to have a relationship with God. First off, let's do a little backtrack. What happens with this guy, Martin Luther? This guy, Martin Luther, grows up in a middle-class family when the world is changing. People are starting to get a little more dollars in their pocket. And Martin Luther's parents, they want Martin to have a better life than what they had. So they labor to send him to school. And dad is a rough man. <coughs> Dad's a tough man. Dad requires that his son learn his lessons, and if he doesn't, Martin Luther's father beats him, beats him severely. So throughout Martin Luther's early formative years, he grows up thinking, if my earthly father can't find satisfaction in what I do, if I'm not good enough to meet the demands of my earthly father, how can I meet the demands of God? Martin Luther grows up scared of God because of his childhood. Finally, he thinks, okay, how can I earn God's favor? I'll become a monk. I'll become a priest. So he goes into that study of a priesthood, and it still gnaws at him and gnaws at him. How do I get you, God of heaven, to love me? So he starts fasting. And Martin Luther will say that he will fast so much, he'll become so skinny, he said, it will feel like my belly button touched my spine. I was so thin. He would go into his room in the, in the monastery and he would take a whip on his bare back and he would whip himself, punishing himself for his sin. Wait a minute. Didn't Christ do that punishment 1,500 years ago? Doesn't matter. He thinks he has to do more. Martin Luther, on a night like last night, he will lay on the cold, damp stone floor of his, of his monastery room, and he would lay there naked without any, any blankets, and he would shiver all night long. And the reason why he would shiver all night long is he thought, if I shiver enough, if I feel cold enough, then maybe God will love me. And then 
Luther goes on a quest. Luther starts to do what a lot of people didn't do at that time. He starts to look into Scripture. Now, Scripture at this time is locked away in a foreign language. Scripture at this time is locked away in the Latin language, which only a few people could understand. A few very learned, elite people could understand the Latin language. But he starts reading Scripture. And then he goes up one step further. Luther's quest brings him to reading the original language of Scripture, the Greek and Hebrew. And then the lights go on. And when the lights go on, that leads him to a study. And now he starts moving up throughout the ranks of the elitism, if you want to say. He's on a college campus. And now he is teaching other priests and other monks and like so many of us, sometimes we do things and we wonder, does anybody else think this way? And as Luther opens up scripture and he has these aha moments, he's like, you know what, am I the only one? There's a lot of us who've been maybe in a boardroom or at work or in the council room at church or in the school board where we're like, am I the only one who thinks this? And Luther comes to a breaking point where he says, no more. I gotta see if anybody else is thinking the same way I am. So you know what he does? <clears throat> he gets on social media. That's right. He sends out an email blast. He sends out a big post. You know what? When he tacked that document up there on the church door at Wittenberg, that's what it was. That's what it, it was the equivalency of in 1517. It was the equivalency of sending out a mass email. But he writes it in Latin. He doesn't write it in the common German tongue. He writes it in Latin because he doesn't want to stir the pot. He wants to see if any other smart guys are thinking the same way he is. And little does he know that in the next three to four to five to six weeks, the Lord will use this statement and it will spread like wildfire throughout Europe. And in a few months' time, it will reach the Pope himself. Think about if you sent out a little Facebook post today and in three weeks from now, President Biden's reading it. That's what happens here. So, like I do with my students, we talk about these two aspects that you will find in those 95 bullet points. Those 95 bullet points are broken down into two big themes. One theme, authority. Where's authority come from? And the second theme, faith and duty. So, in 1492, in 1517, Martin Luther did his thing. We're almost south of Route 10. We can get away saying that. In 1517, Martin Luther did his thing. And in 20 years' time, in 20 years' time, in 1536, saying the Lord's Prayer could get you next. Roll the tape.
Speak. Child, show us your great learning. You have nothing to fear but God's wrath, my little one. So speak. Our father. Yes. There's more. Our father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who I most solemnly forbid you, child, ever again to speak the creed, the Lord's Prayer, or the Ten Commandments in English. We need hear no more. The men will burn. But of our great compassion and mercy, the widow will be spared to provide for this brood after we have taught them afresh the godly ways of the church. Is she safe, though, Martin? Take the rest away. So, that's kind of a downer. If you speak the Lord's Prayer or the creeds or even anything of God's Word in the common, dirty English tongue, or German tongue, or Spanish tongue, you could get burned. That's right, you'd be burned by a guy who looks like this. Because I am the elite. I am the professors. I'm the elite ones who know how to preserve God's word. That's right. At this time, we go back one slide. I don't know how to move this back one. At this time, the language of God was locked up in the universities. And so today, you might, you might have a, a senior in high school here who's like, I'm going to be graduating. Oh, I'm going to be graduating in June. Really? Back at this time, if we were an instructor, a teacher, you didn't graduate when a certain calendar date came around. You graduated when we thought you were ready. And yes, in those cold, damp, those cold, damp universities like the University of Prague or Oxford, you would wear a robe because it's cold, it's drafty. You didn't have a book bag when you went to school. No, nope. what you did if you had anything, anything of paper, you put them in your sleeves. And that's how you went to class. So kids in the room, junior high kids, high school kids, you didn't have a book bag. You put them in your sleeves. Oh, and because it's cold, we oftentimes have to build our sleeves into, into our robe. And then when you sat in front of an instructor like myself, the colors that they wore on their hood represented their authority. Their authority to tell you the truth. And whatever the doctors and teachers of theology told you was the truth, that was the truth. Not necessarily what? Not necessarily scripture. What I teach you is the truth. And when I feel that you are ready, that's when I will graduate you. 
Now, many reformers came and went. Many reformers, for an example, like John Wycliffe. John Wycliffe, 150 years before Martin Luther, John Wycliffe did his, did his ministry there in Oxford. But a lot of times the ministry was very localized. Okay, think about maybe somebody loves your coffee cake and they say, you know what, this is great coffee cake. You gotta, maybe you should open up a bakery. So you open up a bakery and then maybe as time goes on, you retire and your bakery closes. But maybe somebody comes to you and says, this coffee cake is fantastic. We gotta go nationwide with this coffee cake. All right? That's what happens with Martin Luther. Martin Luther takes this message of the Reformation and he brings it global. A person like John Wycliffe, he did some good work. A person like John Wycliffe started to get the wheels turning and he says, wait a minute, God's word is what's truly authoritative. Not what you find in the doctors or the elites or the teachers, but God's word. So as we said earlier today in our, in our, in our worship, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Wait a minute. This is what's used for teaching. This is what's used for training, for bringing us to another level. I've coached for over 30 years, and I think about how sometimes, you know, when, when you're coaching a basketball team, the guys don't necessarily always like what you're doing them to bring them to another level. And here, Paul's words to Timothy is, sometimes we don't like it all the time, how God's word brings us to another level. Sometimes it doesn't tell us what we really want to hear. Like a coach doesn't tell us what we want to hear, but it's what we need. And a guy like John Wycliffe, he pressed and pressed and pressed at the University of, of Oxford. But the problem is, is the church put a kibosh on him. He challenged the superstitions of the time. What were some of the superstitions of the time? Some of the superstitions were, if you didn't have your child baptized, your child, if they, if they died in infancy, would wander the skies as fireflies in the summer twilight. Superstitions like, if you sneezed, you know when you sneeze, you're out of control for a moment? And as you're out of control, what could come into you? A demon. So you quickly say, when somebody sneezes, bless you. Exactly. These were the superstitions of the time. The superstitions that you could buy your way into heaven. So yes, a guy like John Wycliffe, he's brought to trial at the Council of, L of Lutworth. And he's brought there by Bishop Courtney, the archbishop, who's the most powerful man in Europe besides the Pope. And Archbishop Courtney looks at John Wycliffe and he says, Shall God's law, which has come to us in the language of learning, be so debased, so stripped of majesty, so enfeebled, as to be read in the common, dirty English tongue? That's right. Shouldn't be in the English tongue, because God's language is the language of Latin. A person like Wycliffe, his ministry comes and goes. His ministry oftentimes gets buried. And there's a need for a course correction. 
You know, when, when a plane is on the tarmac, it could be just an eighth of a degree off. And you don't notice it at first. But as you get further and further, 500 miles away, you're way off target. That's what happened to the church for a thousand years. It got way off target. So, Wycliffe gets that little spark going. And Luther, while he's doing his studies, will start to dig up a few of Wycliffe's stuff. And he'll turn to scripture. And he'll see what Wycliffe wrote. And he'll, be, and he'll be confronted with 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. We also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as actually it is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. The word of God is at work in you. And that's the foundation. There's a TV program I love to watch. It's called Building Alaska. I don't know if any of you have ever seen it. But when these guys build these, build these really, really custom-made cabins out in the middle of Alaska, they got to dig a foundation first. And because of all the permafrost, it's soggy. But once they get that foundation in, which takes so long to do, then the rest of the building of the cabin goes smoothly. It took 150 years with Wycliffe's foundation till finally Luther can start building something. And when Luther starts building something, the church now goes on a course correction. And Luther starts to have aha moments where he starts to read 1 Peter chapter 1, 19 through 21. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you'll do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. That's it. The church today has all kinds of interpreters, but Scripture doesn't. Scripture comes from God himself. And as that passage continues, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Think about that when you carried a child in your arms, when your newborn was, was born. Where you went, that child went. And God's word was brought to us by people who wrote down exactly the way God wanted. So this becomes that aha moment for Luther again. And in this aha moment, Luther realizes, wait a minute. Forgiveness of sins isn't because I'm doing something. Forgiveness of sins is undeserved. It's unmerited. It's not earned. How did we ever lose it over the last thousand years? How did we ever lose that wonderful understanding of the gift. So Luther's way of moving forward is actually to go backward, to go backward to that original gift, a turning back to the original promise, a turning back to the original scriptures. And from that moment, everything changes. Martin Luther knew that the people of God in the church had renewal in its DNA. My wife and I, we live in Lansing, but about 12 miles down the road, we have a campsite where we have a seasonal camper. And one of the things I like to do during the summer is on the Kankakee River, I take an inner tube out, I tie a rope to it, and I go out and I float for about 20 feet out into the river. 
And about every half hour, I got to kind of open my eyes and look around, and I'm all, usually I'm all tangled up. Usually I've floated somewhere where I shouldn't, so now I got to kind of make a little course correction. I got to kind of bring it back in so I can float out the right way. People of God, our churches need to make lots of course corrections as we go forward in the ministry today. There may come a time where community church here has to go through a course correction, has to go through a change and a sifting. It's not like it's a one-time deal in 1517 and then everything's good. We gotta continue that renewal. And for Martin Luther and for those other reformers like Zwingli and Calvin and Tyndale and so many that would come through the ages, they know that renewal, God has built renewal into our DNA. And in that renewal, we see reflected, as we saw this morning, those five so important things. That scripture alone is our highest authority. That faith alone in Christ is how we receive justification. That grace alone, we can't somehow do anything. God gives it to us. And because of his work in Christ Jesus, we go forward. And we go forward and we live every day to the glory of God alone. It's those five solas that call us to faith and duty. So just like we have aha moments in our life and we grow and we look back and we see different points on where we grow, as Luther continued to explore the scriptures and realize that they were the, the, the ultimate authority, now Luther has some questions. Those questions are about what do I gotta do now? And he goes back to the book of Habakkuk and in the book of Habakkuk, it says the righteous will live by faith. Luther's like, yeah, I've always believed that. You know, we have faith that God exists. Yeah, I believe in faith. And I believe that you got to get righteous a certain way. But then he starts opening up the book of Romans. And in the book of Romans, what we read this morning, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, from faith to faith, it says in some older translations, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, Luther knew that. Luther knew, okay, the, the, the church has always taught us the righteous will live by faith. But how do you get righteous? And what does it mean, faith to faith? What it means, faith to faith, is that your faith is not your own. Uh-uh. Sometimes we think our faith is our own. We read those, that, that passage about a half hour ago. If you think your faith is your own, then you can boast about it. You can't boast about your faith. You know, it was raining all week, and uh, I've been doing roofing work for over 30 years. So yesterday, I was trying to get to the bottom of a roof leak, and I'm crawling around in this customer's attic, and finally we found the problem. We fixed it. The customer was so happy. And I looked at my dad who was helping me. I said, let's go get lunch. Yeah, let's reward ourselves because we did that. We fixed that roof. Yeah. When it comes to your faith, as it says in Scripture, from faith to faith, from first to last, from eternity to eternity, God has orchestrated your faith. That's why it says in Hebrews 12 verse 2, that God is the author and finisher of your faith. 
God sets the wheels in motion and he perfects your faith. Because if you could do a little bit on your own, you could thump your chest and say, I did a little bit of this. And now Luther is really, really now at the height. He's, it's, now he's ready to get pushed over the edge because he then continues to read the book of Romans. And in Romans 5 verse 1, he reads, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. Now, what was the language that Luther first started reading Scripture in? Sir, Latin. And in Latin, the word justify was justificar. In other words, you do something to get justice. Remember how we talked a few minutes ago about how a prisoner serves his time to get justice, serves his time to meet his requirement? But now, Luther reads it in the original Greek language, and he, when he reads it in the original Greek language, there's a different word. Not justificare, but diakos. And diakos means not to become righteous by what you do, but righteous by who you are. Follow that philosophy right there. Not righteous by what you do, but righteous by who you are. And now, totally everything changes for Luther. Luther says, I'm righteous because I'm passive? That's right. Justificare was becoming righteous by doing something, by being active. Diakos is being justified by being passive and letting God's good grace do the work for you. I think about, think about it this way. Justificare is like a football player in the locker room doing things to get ready for the game, putting on the helmet, putting on the cleats, putting on the socks, putting the shoulder pads on. You're doing something to get ready. And diakos is like Iron Man. You just stand there and what? It comes upon you. God's grace comes upon you. When Luther started looking at Scripture in the original language, in the original authority, he said, when I discovered that, I was born again of the Holy Ghost. And the doors of paradise swung open. And I walked through. I walked through. Because I realized that it was my Lord who did that for me. So now, what do I have to do? Don't I, shouldn't I do something? Philippians 2. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's right. Now that you're a child of God, you don't work for your salvation. Look what the text says. You work out your salvation. Because you're saved, you work it out with fear and trembling. Lord, what can I do next for the kingdom? What can I do next because you have given me this wonderful grace? And how can I realize that this is important work? Do this with fear and trembling. 
My son is not an athlete by any stretch of the imagination. And I've coached basketball for 30 plus years and he never was interested. And if I gave him a basketball and he started to dribble, just dribbling that ball doesn't make him a basketball player. But in a week and a half from now, when we have basketball tryouts and I see kids trying out for the team, a basketball player, by his very nature, has to what? They has to dribble. Dribbling does not make you a basketball player, but a basketball player will dribble. Doing good works out of your love and thankfulness for God doesn't make you a Christian, but a Christian has to do it. A Christian has to do good works. Because you know what? God ordained those works. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. He arranges those works to be done. Does this look familiar? I don't even know who these people are. But a few months ago, my wife and I, we left our campground outside of Moments, and we decided to go to this little festival that Moments has on the island over there. And it's a little bit of a craft show, a little bit of a, a little bit of a food vendors, and there's also a little bit of a, of a rummage sale kind of thing. And I saw, wow. I said, even before I knew who it was, in my head, I'm like, ah, there's some people working out their salvation. Not working for it, working it out. And so we went to this little booth, and my wife, she opens up a Bible, and she goes, Take a look at that. It's Brian and Julie's church. I'm like, wow, cool. And then my wife, because, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of Dutch folks, we're like, so are these free? <laughs> yeah, these things are free. And I think back to the slide before. The slide before says, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The very first time that Luther had to bring the message of the gospel to the people of God, he couldn't do it. He was shaking. I can't believe, God, that you're using me. Do we as people of God get shaken anymore? Do we get shaken to realize that the Lord of heaven puts work in front of us to do, to live out faith with duty? That we are used as vehicles just like Luther was? just like Calvin was, just like so many of the reformers were, do we get shaken by that? Because let me tell you something. The people who are at this booth don't know this. But about an hour later, as my wife and I had kind of made our rounds through this festival, I saw a family with a blanket on the ground. And this family had a couple little kids. And I, you, you could tell that this family didn't have a lot of money, didn't have a lot of resources. But mom and dad had the kids out for the day and they were getting them some cotton candy and some, you know, elephant ears and stuff. And the kids were on this blanket. And you know what the kids were doing? They were opening up their brand new story Bibles. And they were paging through it. And they're showing each other the pictures. And one's trying to read to the other one what the story is about. And you know what they were doing there at that moment? They were looking at sola scriptura. They were looking at the authority of God's word alone. And when they were looking at those Bible stories, 
Those Bible stories are teaching about faith. Those Bible stories are teaching about, about grace alone. Those Bible stories that they were looking through were teaching about, about Christ alone, which we sang earlier today. So community, church, do we still feel the thunder of Luther's hammer today? I think we do. And that's why glory be to God alone. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's pray. Lord, you have given us a task. You've given us a task like you gave to Luther and to John Huss and to Zwingli and Tyndale and to John Knox and to Billy Graham and to everyone who has said this word must go forth. We pray, Lord, that as we, your image bearers, that we might be shaken to continually to live out the, the work of the Reformation with renewal, that Reformation doesn't happen 500 years ago, that Reformation happens now, that Re Reformation moves us forward as kingdom people. And Lord, we know that there may be a time where this church, this wonderful group of Christians, may have to have a course correction. We pray, Lord, that we never slip away. We pray that we 